This podcast is supported by .tech Domains, a domain extension designed with the tech community in mind. .tech Domains allow you to create strong, tech-focused positioning for your brand. The .tech extension offers a ton of availability, so you don't have to compromise on your domain name. And it's intuitive and descriptive, which will help you create a great first impression and stand out in the crowd. Big brands are already using the .tech extension, including Viacom, CES, and Intel. The .tech domain has also been great for startups. In fact, startups using the .tech extension have already raised $500 million in funding. Whether you are looking for a domain for your tech startup, tech blog, or personal portfolio, a .tech domain is the way to go. Get your .tech domain today at www.get.tech. And be sure to use coupon code BESTTECHIE to save 96% on all one-year and five-year registrations. Pricing for one-year registrations start at just $1.99. Again, that's www.get.tech and coupon code BESTTECHIE. Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 29. Today I'm speaking with Paul Tashima, co-founder and CEO at Nudge.ai. This episode is all about sales. We discuss the most important elements of scaling your sales team, the future of sales, and how company culture can impact sales. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Paul Tashima, co-founder and CEO at a company called Nudge.ai. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for being with me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you on and talk all about sales. Thanks, Jeff, for having me on board. I'm excited as well. Love talking about sales. <laughs> I, I gathered, considering you built a company around uh, you know, sales intelligence, correct? That, that's what Nudge does. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Nudge and, and, and your background? So I'm the CEO and co-founder of Nudge, which basically means I do everything other than build product uh, in a startup. Um, Nudge is a, is a company that's focused on relationship intelligence, which ultimately helps me to be salespeople. So what we do is we find the relationships that are gonna help you get access to accounts and then make sure you're doing the right things to grow those relationships so you can eventually turn them into customers. Gotcha. And and, and having built a SaaS company of my, of my own, uh, for the past four years, I'm not doing it anymore, but sales was such an important um, element, you know, in, in building a business. There's just, without, without generating revenue, you know, you can't, you, you cease to exist, right? Um, and 
a large part that I learned while doing that was that relationships, building relationships with uh, with people at you know who who are decision makers, right? Which are which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, is is the most important thing you can do because unless you have that champion inside that that organization to kind of really champion your product and get them get them uh, to want to use it, it's very very difficult sometimes, especially on a enterprise level to, to close a deal. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And in fact, I think the, you know, one of our advisors, Lars Nielsen, who is uh, the ex-global sales leader for a company called Cloudera, has this great line where he says, the hardest part today of closing any deal is actually finding it. Mm-hmm. You know, 84% of all B2B uh, buying processes now start with a referral. That's how closed off buyers have become this day and age in terms of just taking general outreach. And so not only do you have to build a relationship uh, once you're in a sales process with the champion, but you actually have to be somewhere in the relationship circles to be referred in. So it's harder and harder for a salesperson to, to get into a deal and then you have to do more work in the deal to get it done. Yeah, I, I, uh, I hear you loud and clear on that and I, I think I think that's, that's right on the money and I would love to talk more about that. But before we get into that, I just wanna go a little bit more into your background Kind of give people an idea of what you were doing uh, before Nudge. Uh, you were on the exec team at a company called Eloqua, uh, which had initial public offering and then was acquired by Oracle. Uh, what was your role there, and 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 what did you do there? Yeah, I so I was yeah part of the co-founding team there at Eloqua back in 2000. Um, and so at the start, I was in sales. I even ran sales for uh, the first year. And then when we got enough customers, I ran uh, customer success for the next 10 years. And in those days, um, there weren't that many SaaS or cloud companies around. And so it was a new idea, new role. Like, how do you figure out how to drive adoption and success in a cloud uh, solution for a business uh, um, that is using marketing to drive real revenue? And so that was an interesting time. And then for the last three parts, three years of that, I ran product um, all the way through IPO and acquisition. Gotcha. So, so, so that's you know that's that's a that's quite an interesting kind of um, jump from sales to product. How did that happen? Just because you were so familiar with built with the product, having sold it, and then making sure customers were happy with it, that you kind of transitioned over to the product side, or how did that work? Yeah, so I think I think product is an interesting role that at different sizes of business it means different things. And so when you're getting close to 100 million in revenue. Uh, product takes a different, out, more outwardly facing view. Uh, you know, you need to understand the market landscape. You need to be out engaging strategic customers. You need to be developing a roadmap that's compelling for all sectors of the market. And so I think in that vein, um, having the deep customer and sales experience from Eloqua and understanding the product was the perfect series of their skills sort of married together to be that product leader. And my CEO at the time, Joe Payne, thought it was a good call to put me into that role. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, I I would I would agree with that as well. I think that you know if you if you understand, not I always feel like product roles. Are, there's there's two key things. It's all, it's all about you know understanding what your customer uh, is likes about your product, what they don't like, and then also being able to relay that information back to the team in a way that's that you can prioritize and uh, you know help them understand. Or right, this is what we need to work on. This is, you know, and I think the prioritization of that from a product role is is sometimes overlooked, but super important. Um, you have to figure out what to actually focus on and when. Yeah, I think I think that you can learn the uh, what I'd call process 
skills around product management itself, but it is that hard decision process you have to make on, well, what's important, what's not important based on my knowledge of the market, what the customers tell me, what the prospects telling me, what partners are telling me, and what my, you know, what other stakeholders in the business are telling you. And so there's this, at the end of the day, you always have to make the call, and that's why the domain piece is so, so important, uh, right. because because the customer doesn't always know what's next. Um, right. But right. No, absolutely. Uh, and so when you were running sales there, you obviously it was early on. You had you were taking the the, the business from zero dollars in revenue to more than a hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, talk to me a little bit about what, what what were the main points of focus from a sales perspective on in your mind? How did you get from zero to ten to, to ten million or to five million or even one million uh, to start and then go from there? Yeah, and I just I do want to be clear that I probably ran I ran sales for the first year, and then I switched mm-hmm. to running customer success, which included expansion revenue and renewals. But I was obviously heavily involved in scaling the business from a new business perspective, new scale uh, sales perspective. And so I think the at the start, you know, the at the end of the day, what you need uh, at the very beginning is you need to try and figure out uh, from a selling perspective uh, what do you have something that is actually a need to have versus a nice to have. And, and so going out there and trying to figure out what's the, the problem that you're solving, the buyer that you have, are you presenting or solving a pain that is a burning issue they must solve or something that's just interesting? And so you can burn a lot of cycles in the early days trying to figure the difference between those two things, need to have versus nice to have. And I often use the, the vitamin versus painkiller uh, analogy in that you know if you have a vitamin, people want to take it, they get interested in it, they want to learn all about it, but ultimately, uh, it's the painkiller that they'll buy because that's the thing that they want to solve today. And so that's the hardest part, I think, at the start in selling. Right. No, that's, that's a great point. Um, and, and I think you know, the same can be said uh, across various different businesses, from, from SaaS businesses to even uh, content-based businesses like media companies, where it's the need and content, it's need versus you know uh, feed. What do you need to look at you know, versus what do you just kind of see in your feed and scroll by it? Um, and it's very similar in a SaaS business where it's, yeah, these these features are, are uh, is a, would be a nice addition to my toolkit, you know, of what you know of tracking uh, sales management or customer relation or CRM management or analytics or whatever. But if it doesn't actually solve a a, a nagging problem that they're having, sometimes it's hard to get them to pull the trigger on it. Yes, I would agree. So. So, 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 so now I, I, I'm, uh, I'd, I'd assume that you have taken a lot of what you got, what you've learned over to Eloqua, uh, and brought that to Nudge, correct? So you, so you and your co-founder Steve Woods, uh, obviously learned a lot in the process of selling to people and, ter- and building a successful business over there. What you know? What would you say some of the top two to three things a salesperson or a business development rep needs to know when building a business i i think that and so if you, you're talking about sort of like as you start to scale sales and these roles start, start right. building it, yeah. I, I mean i think there's a couple things first off is that you need to really spend time um to know your customer um and you know the, is, this is the catch-22 of selling right you have a quarterly number sometimes a monthly number to hit um and so you don't always have the time to be patient with buyers you know and so you're there's a lot of push-pull going on with you need to hit your number, you need to do your activities. And at the same time, buyers are saying, but I, you need to know and add value to my business. 
And so I think we're at an interesting time where maybe back in the days of Eloqua, um, you know, cloud was new, marketing automation was new. Um, it was a, we, were, we weren't as activity driven and it was easier to get at least some people's time. I think today it's much harder. I think that um, with the advent of automation and with you know 7,000 startups in the marketing and sales technology space, you have to actually make sure you're doing both activity and spending the time to differentiate yourself by learning about someone's business and adding value. And so I think you know those two things are critical. And then I think the third thing that's that's really important is you really need to be interested about the things that you're doing and believe in what you're doing. Um, so in other words, if you're going to take a job as a salesperson or a business development, it's essential that you believe what the business is trying to accomplish and that you personally th can show that as you're engaging uh, buyers. Right. And with, with those things, you're going to get time and you're going to get the ability for the buyer to start to tell you things that are gonna, you're going to use to help them. Right. No, I, I, right. So tell me, so talk to me a little bit about how Nudge is, is, is helping uh, people in all different, I guess, parts of the sales process stack, uh, you know, find, find the right people to talk to and develop these relationships. What are you guys doing to help, to help these people? Yeah. So I think there's really two parts to what we do. The first is, um, we look and understand the strength of the relationships in your corporate network. So, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm going after a targeted account as a, as a BDR, and I've been hammering them with a cadence, um, you know, maybe a 15-step cadence for a bunch of different potential buyers. Um, but wouldn't it be great to know that someone on our board of directors actually knows the decision maker or, or someone close to the decision maker with a real relationship? So we're going to uncover that and highlight that to the salesperson, whether that's in their, um, you know, Salesforce or on LinkedIn or wherever. We're going to show that to them and know that's a pathway in. Um, then the second part of what we do is as you're engaging that that person, that buyer. We're going to use AI to do some of the heavy lifting on research. So we're going to take a look at the different things happening in their lives, the different things in their personality and profile, and really give you some of the quote-unquote nudges you can use to better further grow the relationship and sort of get that toehold of trust at the start of it. Gotcha. So what are, in your experience, what are some of the, the most, I guess, successful nudges uh, that can be used? So, like, you know, is it is it – is it is it okay to, to mention a personal like, you know, uh, success uh, achievement in someone's life, or should you stick to professional, uh, you know, achievements? For example, I mean, I I think you, this is the art of the salesperson, right? It's not you need to bring in personal elements uh, at the right time. Um, you know, the perfect nudge is where you can uh, identify uh, a common relationship. Uh, you don't have to necessarily ask for the intro, but establish some trust, some proxy trust through that by saying, hey, we know the same person. This, this person believes in what we're doing and recommended we chat with you. And then two, um, show an understanding that you've done some work, that you're a good fit for their business. And then three, um, try and find something else that's going on in their lives that gives you an ability to sort of connect with them at a different level. And so those three things we really advocate for. Um, now. The more personal the, that that element is, so to your point, like if it has something to do with uh, one of their personal interests, like maybe they love kiteboarding or something, you know, you got to pick the right time to bring that in, um, or it has to be authentic. Like if you are a professional semi-pro kiteboarder yourself, and you can actually talk about that sport, um, you could probably bring it up in the first call because it would be very authentic. Mm -hmm. So it's all about being authentic in how you marry that personal stuff in. So authenticity is the name of the game here uh, when uh, when it comes to selling. 
I I, I believe that. I'm I'm asking. So that's that. So that's 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 the recommendation. Then keep it as authentic as possible. Don't try and don't try and fake your way into. Uh, you know, if, if something, if something, if you can't really speak to something, then don't really, really shouldn't bring it up, at least in the very first conversation. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, you got to be authentic. And if you think of just a normal business relationship or normal personal relationship, you wouldn't dive in and tell them all your secrets on, you know, <laughs> on meeting one. So I, I think you need to take some time with that. And then also, as, again, this is where the sales professional is makes their makes their uh, money in that they've got to understand the relationship dynamics, understand who the person is, their personality, and understand how to work with them over time to sort of gain more and more trust. Right. And that's something that AI can't do today. And, and why that, uh, although there's been a lot of talk about AI taking over the sales profession, I think it's very the opposite. I think AI is gonna allow reps more time to build relationships and be more human um, as they take away some of the mundane tasks behind the scenes that reps have to do. Right, I, I remember when I was building uh, Kaya, the SaaS company I was working on, I was working very closely with my sales team and you know one of the things that just took so much time was all the research right um and it it just seemed like definitely there there could be tools out there that could do a better job at identifying uh you know news about a business and, and kind of incorporating that into our our our, our sales system or news about an individual or, you know, identifying a contact that we may have in common and things like that. Um, so that's so, so it's correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what nudge is, is all, is all about is trying to get, trying to help ease that workload, um, and identify, uh, those, 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 those potential relationships that are, uh, there, um, that, that you can, that you can get at, um, and make it easier for you as a salesperson. Yes, but it, but the the key thing and why I think um, we have to calculate the strength of the relationship as you build it is that for a sales professional, everyone knows this, right? You don't want to know everything about all of the accounts in your territory, and you don't want to know about everything about every deal you're working because some of the deals are going well, and 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 you are working them. There's stuff you have to do to get them done. You want to know about the accounts or the people where you're struggling, where there are challenges, and you're not getting the traction you want. You want the AI to focus in and say. You had um, a few great meetings with this opportunity, and then it went. They went dark. What can we uncover to give you an opportunity to get back in there? And so this is where the intelligence around how how you're growing those relationships allows the AI to focus on the right things versus just giving you like a, a sort of Google Alerts style, 200 alerts every morning on every account you've ever touched. Right. Which right. That, that could be that's, that, that could be more overwhelming than helpful. Exactly. Yeah, you want just the right amount of information as a salesperson, not too much, not too little. <laughs> and that's, that's yeah. <laughs> the the Goldilocks, the Goldilocks scenario. That's right. So, so we were you, you mentioned this just before about um, about AI and automation being, um, you know, what a lot of people are talking about as kind of the future of sales, right? Potentially even replacing people doing it. You don't agree with that, as you just mentioned. Um, from what, for, based on what you've built so far and what you're continuing to build at Nudge, how important or not important is is the AI automation aspect um, to to your to the customers who are using the product right now? Well, I think so. The AI is a critical part of what we do. I mean, it's we right. are, but but I would say that we are a sales solution company. Um, you know, a relationship intelligence solution with AI in it versus we are an AI company. 
It just it just happens to do sales stuff. I, I think that the the core the core part of it, which is encrypt, which is important, is that we need the system to get smarter and smarter as it's learning how you know we have twenty thousand plus users on the platform today. As these users are interacting and building relationships and using different things and nudges, we want to get smarter about our recommendations so that the next user, next salesperson has smarter and smarter recommendations on what to do. And so the idea that it's core to it, I think, is pretty critical. Um, and then two, uh, I, I think that ultimately down the road, uh, we really want to be the experts in understanding um, how to build business relationships uh, and then let you go do that, but really take away all that extra work you have to do that's more behind the scenes to get it done. Mm -hmm. That sounds good to me. As someone who loves meeting new people and networking and, and developing relationships, I mean, I do it all the time and there, there is a, definitely a significant amount of work that goes into it. But also at the same time, I feel like if I could just focus on talking to people, you know, I had my information provided to me through, let's say, Nudge, for example, right? Uh, and I could kind of like a um, like a one pager, just, you know, background that I need to that I need to know to go into talking to someone, right? And and let, and kind of let personality, charisma, you, you know, your ability to sell, do the rest. Um, that seems like an ideal situation, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I think that AI uh, is going to get better and better at that, at, at producing that kind of person or account brief, and then letting you do the the stuff that it can't do. Mm -hmm. So, talk to me a little bit about. So you have uh, stepping to a kind of. Similar topic uh, in in the realm of cells, but um, but not necessarily about what we're you know not, not necessarily about the AI aspect or anything like that. So, you have a deal, uh, you close the deal, great job. What's the biggest mistake someone can make after closing a deal? Well, I, I think that I mean this is pretty obvious, but and I don't think many do that. And cloud has really prevented this. Is this idea of like once you close a deal, it's you're done. Um, right. You know, as a sales professional. Um, we know today that um, SaaS has made everyone accountable for delivering the value you promised. And so as a sales professional, if you care not just about uh, your job at the, and, your, and your customer, but your career, um, you want to make sure that that customer achieves what, they, uh, what you sold them on. And, right. and yeah, that may be handed off to a different team. Uh, but staying in the loop and, and making sure that you're we're delivering is is as much the salesperson's responsibility as it is the customer success person's responsibility. I 100% agree. So so is what you're building at Nudge currently capable of handling after the deal stuff, or is it still focused mostly on before the deal is closed? No, we I mean we help with customer success leaders as well, especially if they okay. have an exp expansion target on revenue. Um, mm -hmm. And we do help with the transition of understanding, well, which relationships did the sales team build during the sales process and hand that off as an imprint to the CS team so they can see, oh, here's, you know, they, they maybe just mentioned talking to these two people, but they actually talked to all five and here's who they had the best relationship with. And so it just helps in that transition. Um, and of course, you're going to do that anyways in a call, hopefully, but it doesn't always happen as well as we think. Mm -hmm. uh, and then this idea that customers ultimately uh, through advocacy, uh, drive future growth uh, is critical. So building those relationships and then maintaining and growing those relationships as a customer, I think is one of the trends we're seeing in all B2B companies uh, that's really the most successful ones are doing well. Right. No, yeah, I, 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 I can't disagree with that. I know that for you that company culture is important. Um, I'm curious if you have any thoughts in terms of how company culture 
impact sales, if at all? I mean, it's it's super critical. Uh, so I, I, I was fortunate to work with um, a gentleman by the name of Alex Schutman, who was our head of sales and eventually our president at Eloqua. And he, he brought in um, a concept called get it done, do it right for us, uh, which we not only adopted in sales, but adopted throughout the entire organization. And today at Nudge, we actually uh, run our performance process around this concept. And the idea was that in order to be um, to add value and do a great job within um, our business, in this case, uh, Nudge, not only do you need to get the job done, so hit your targets, do what you're supposed to do, but you need to do it in a way that we believe is the correct way of doing that. And very often in a sales organization, you see the top people who are doing, uh, hitting their best number and killing it, but they're taking down everyone else with them as they get those deals done. They're wasting everyone's time. They're sucking a lot of resources away from other important areas of the business. Uh, I'm not saying reps shouldn't try and ask for those resources. I'm just saying that sometimes you know those reps who are killing it, but they're not doing it in a way that's aligned to your business values. And so there's some really hard decisions you have to make as a sales leader is that is that person better for the business or not better because they're not doing it the right way. And I think that's, uh, you know, I was, I was proud to say that at Eloqua, we actually made the hard decision to let one of our top performers uh, go because they were not getting it done um, uh, in the right way. They were hitting their number. In fact, they were beating their number by a lot, but they were really hurting everyone else in the team as they did that. So that, that like you said, that had to have been a tough decision, I guess, uh, from a, at least from a financial standpoint. Did did you find after you had let that person go, though, that the, that the team as a whole worked better cohesively? And also, did you see better numbers from, from everyone else on the team? Or how did that work out? I mean, it left a hole. I mean, it, there's no <laughs> question it was a terrifying decision. And I think still probably some people may even think in hindsight it was still the wrong decision. Um, but I think over time we caught back up on it. It wasn't like instantaneous. Uh, I do feel that it probably saved a whole bunch of other uh, superstar performers who weren't all in sales uh, in staying. Um, and so it's, you know, at, at the end, we had a great outcome for the business. So it's kind of hard to say it was the wrong call. Um, but uh, I think in hindsight, um, you know, it, it would be a hard decision to make even today, but we would we would we would definitely think about it in the right way. Mm -hmm. What about a nudge? Do you have any of those 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 kind of catchphrases or how, how have you built the company culture there? Um, to 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 incorporate those ideals, you know. So we're still early. We're you know 22 people and growing, uh, but we're so we're we're still focused. I think on really finding that nexus. But there's two concepts we're really trying to push forward. One is the one I mentioned: get it done, do it right. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other is one call that we call your network is your net worth. And um, you know we want people to walk away from Nudge uh, not having better just themselves, but uh, building out a network of of relationships that are going to help them in their career. And we actually give an award out every year, which is as valuable as our classic MVP award. So this is the person we feel contributed back to their network or their community um, the most. Um, and we're seeing that directly add value to the business, even though we, we don't care if it does, um, you know, because we're seeing, you know, it could be a, someone uh, in the head of in product actually who's doing spending time in the ecosystem. And um, that gives us more exposure to the tech side for recruiting and for other opportunities. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to see how that philosophy, although we started out saying just it should really be about yourself and your career, is actually still helping the business. Mm -hmm. I want to talk uh, change of subject because you had just brought up recruiting. Um, I, so you guys are based in Toronto, right? Yes. 
Okay, so first of all, I'm not familiar with the tech scene too much in Toronto, but kind of give me a little rundown in terms of what it's like uh, there, in terms of the tech scene. I mean, the tech scene is thriving. I think we're like number six overall in North America in terms of number of startups. There's over 7,000 here right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say it's pretty incredible. Um, I mean, Salesforce has their largest corporate sales office here. We've got Google, we've got Autodesk, we've got Amazon, um, we've got everyone here. And so I think for me, the talent pool is very big, uh, but it's, it's very competitive, um, which is different than say in the past where the talent pool was smaller when I was at Eloqua, but not as competitive. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, cause we, we recently had on um, a couple people in the Chicago Midwest area. One of them runs a company called Hunt Club and it, that's all about recruiting and using, uh, using uh, their kind of influencer network uh, for recommendations on who to hire for particular roles, but he was talking. He was talking to me about how the Chicago tech scene is in the Midwest is really up and coming, and he's seeing a lot of people move from, let's say, the Valley or New York to that area because it's less expensive, and there are a lot of good startups in that area. I'm, I just was curious if you had if you had seen or heard of anything similar to that. Uh, yes, I mean Chicago. I've heard about Chicago growing that way. I mean we're seeing a big boom in Atlanta as well. Mm -hmm. um, obviously uh, New York is huge, but it's gotten even bigger. Um, I think that you're seeing a, a, a definitely a diversification of of localization of different pockets of tech ecosystems throughout North America. Um, we're even seeing it up here in Canada with Toronto, with Ottawa, with Montreal and Vancouver. Um, and so I think you're going to continue to see that as technology becomes a more and more critical part of the new economy. Definitely. And, and obviously, I think it goes without saying that as more talented people go to these these uh, these cities and these places, they and they're working there, chances are they might stay there and, and start their own business at some point uh, and, you know, turn it into something. So, you know, I think that that's obviously a really uh, beneficial thing about having talented people in, in various parts of, of, of North America and the world, really. Yeah, I think success breeds success, right? Not Stephen, yeah. Stephen, myself are staying in Toronto for our second startup after a good success with Eloqua. And we're, I probably say I can name another 15 to 20 founders who are building their second company after a good exit uh, here in Toronto. And that makes a world of difference, not only for raising capital for your next startup, but also attracting top talent and, and, and having a great chance of success again, right? And so that second, third time entrepreneur coming back to the hometown is critical part of the ecosystem's maturity. Definitely. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that Toronto is doing really well. I've never been up there. I should definitely, should definitely visit one day uh, here based in New York City. Uh, it's really not that far. I don't have a good reason why I've never checked out the local Toronto tech scene. Yeah, you should come up for sure. Just come in the summer. A little colder in the winter. Yeah, well, maybe maybe I'll have to come up a little before uh, in the fall sometime or or next year. <laughs> um, cool. So I want to talk a little bit. I want to jump back into sales and biz dev for a second. Uh, and when you're when when you're hiring, uh, since we were just talking about hiring, when you're hiring a a salesperson or a business development person, what 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 do you look for? What are some of the what are some of the qualities, characteristics of, of someone? And I think we might have hinted at some of them along the way during this conversation. But if you had to kind of bullet point it out for us, what do you look for? And, and obviously it's different 
uh, you know, the difference between sales and business development and then field sales or, you know, uh, you know, enterprise sales versus inside sales. Right, but I would right. say that, you know, number one, and I think this is not necessarily specific to the role is when I hire in a startup, I want to make sure they are motivated to be at a business at our stage. Um, in other words, uh, to me, I feel that you can actually teach skills and, and if you have a great learning curve and, and, and you're smart, you can learn things. But if you're not motivated, if you're not aligned in terms of the things that we're doing and the stage of your career and what we're doing, I think it's a, it's a challenge no matter how good you are as a sales professional, right? So for example, for us, we're in the early stage of ramping sales. So um, if you're a sales professional who needs you know a resource for every element to have a, a lock solid playbook with a uh, 20 battle cards all written up from product marketing, you're not gonna, you know, that's not what, what nudges right, about, right? you're not as scrappy. Yeah, <laughs> you're not as scrappy, right? And so I think that that's the first thing. I think the second thing is I really look for someone who has um, who is really interested in our space um, and has obviously demonstrated the ability to sell uh, enterprise software, but really gets what we're doing and really could get behind it. Because back to that authenticity point, I think if you can't, um, if you don't really believe in how that you're going to help the customer, it's really hard to make that authentic uh, during the buying process. Um, and then, of course, there's just just general sales skills that you can go through. Um, salespeople all interview really well. You've got to put them through a process that really tests them as they get uncomfortable or as things don't go right during the interview process. And I think that's really critical as well. Right. No, because a lot of the, like you said, there's a lot of them work with a playbook and and things like that. They have a they're prepared for pretty much any situation that you that a potential customer could throw at them at that point of the game, uh, especially if, if it's later, if it's a later stage company. Um so someone who can think on their feet, especially at an early you know, an early stage company, is super important. Uh, you know, uh, I think that I think that uh, that that level of scrappiness can uh, and, and ability to think on your feet is is definitely a key uh, characteristic to look for at an early stage company uh, who's growing it and and doesn't have a complete playbook, sales playbook, or as you mentioned. Yeah, and I think that as you talk to a sales professional and you talk to them, you know, I always ask about their. What have they learned the most? What are the great moments in them? It's interesting to see how much they talk about themselves versus the customer or versus other people that have helped them. And that balance between how how um, much they credit themselves versus others uh, is interesting. And it's always a careful balance for me because I think that um, me being probably less of a hunter-style salesperson, you also want someone that's going to be complimentary to the other people you have. Um, you know, You want someone who is a little different than maybe someone than than the rest of the team as you start to look at a mix of people that can get the right outcomes for you in your sales process. Right, because if you have everyone who's all who basically has the same traits and characteristics and same kind of capabilities, if you will, um, it like it, they're not complementary; they're just the same. And, and and you may you may be fine, but it's it's always good to have you know some the ability for someone to come at it from a different perspective or th inject different types of ideas into the mix that that maybe if you had all the same people it would kind of be like a group think situation. Yeah, and of course as you get bigger and you're starting to scale, you, you want actually a little bit a little bit less differentiation. You want to find hopefully find salespeople who are fitting a certain DNA that you know works well, right? Right. right. Uh, so that's a different stage of the cycle. Mhm. Mm right, and it's it's actually it's, it's pretty interesting and, and and how how that all kind of plays out. Um and being that you 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 built uh, companies that that have scaled, um, I'm just curious what what is in your in your experience what what is that how does 
how does that play out internally, you know, on your end? How do you, and how do you handle some of the, I guess, potential uh, issues that may arise as the team kind of grows and the, and the company, you know, becomes more mature? Um, you know, what have you seen in, in terms of that, like in, on the sales, on the sales front? So, so you mean what? What? How do you make sure that people stay motivated and are learning as you grow and, and exactly and goals? Yeah, I mean this is. Uh, I mean this is the job of a good manager, good leader. I mean, you constantly need to be looking for a balance of you need to just get your stuff done to where they're getting opportunities to learn and and where they're getting fulfilled in their job, and then at the end of the day, um, not everyone can always advance. Right? Not everyone's going to get that. Hey, I want to be a manager, and and I'm I actually have the right skills to transition from an individual contributor to a manager, and so you need to have honest conversations on a regular basis and helping correct, of course, correct where people are off. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, there's no magic bullet on it. Um, it, it. You know, it's surprising to me how many leaders I know still don't meet their direct reports on a regular basis, one on one. It's yeah, it takes a lot of time, and yeah, it's sometimes not always easy, but it's so critical in understanding the growth of those people. And who's um, who? Even you know superstars who are having problems. How do you make sure they're still going to be happy and stay and add value to the business? Right, and, and you, you mean I think it, it, it's basically you have to invest in them if you want them to invest in you and your business, right? I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, and also just you know having that honest conversation with or honest conversations with your employees about about those types of things um, sometimes may not be pleasant, but absolutely is necessary. Yes, so, yeah, and, and teaching yeah. them the process of managing up is is a, is a great thing for them to learn if they ever do want to move into management. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I have one last question before we get to the lightning round here. Uh, on your site, you have uh, I, I look, took a look at your your website in detail, but I noticed on on um, on the pricing page you have a freemium sales model. Why did you choose the uh, freemium route? Um, and I'm curious how it's working out for you so far. So. You know, Steve and I are placing a bet on a trend that's starting to already happen where we feel that product-led go-to-market strategies are getting uh, better economies of scale as they get move up market into the mid-market and enterprise. And, and you know, yes, you can build a great a large field sales organization and run it really well, but nothing beats the scale of a product-led strategy. So you think of like companies like Slack, of course, or Intercom or Atlassian and, and you know Jira and get and github and all these other companies that have taken it and figured it out um, And so we really believe that Not only does that go-to-market work uh, Starting to work more in terms of companies that are winning But if you can find a way for that for that value of those free users to add to the overall platform um, Then it's even a double win and so for us you know, we want people to use Nudge for free as a personal CRM because we want those relationships for them to carry from job to job. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of your best relationships are from two or three jobs ago, and if you just stick with a CRM system, you only see what you're doing today. And so we needed people to be able to port those around and, and carry them with them because it's a, it's a critical part of understanding the depth of relationships for us. Got it. And in terms of the actual price points that you have, so you, you have the free, the, the $0 uh, plan, but you, then the next plan starts at uh, nineteen ninety five a user. I like to ask this question because I feel like every founder and CEO and person who's come up with pricing has a different approach. <laughs> it, there's no single approach. It's, it's, sometimes it's very arbitrary. H- how did you come up with that pricing? 
I mean, we looked at some comparable products in the industry and we talked to a lot of people, a lot of sales managers. And, you know, right now, to be fair, LinkedIn Sales Navigator kind of sets the bar for the top upper echelon of sales tool pricing. And so uh, we wanted to be under that, uh, although we don't compete directly with Navigator. Um, and, and we also looked at um, other types of tools they were using. And so what, we, what we've learned is that, you know, if you are an individual contributor and you want to put in your card and be a sales professional, just use Nudge. And we have lots of users doing that today. Um, you know, around 20 bucks per month is what you're going to swallow. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to go up to $40 or, you know, 30 or 40. And at the same rate, you know, as you start to get into a commercial product, we have our team product and our enterprise product, you're willing to pay quite a bit more because uh, we add more value in the larger team setting. Right, right. No, that's that. That's that's a perfectly make you know acceptable, makes sense answer. I mean, I I was talking to other founders, and they're like, "Well, I had one price, and then I just and then I, you know was working, so then we raised it, and kept raising it, kept raising it until people you know said something about it." Um, and I mean, that's certainly one approach. Obviously, another approach is you know to do to do the market research and, and like like you were talking about and look at competitors and what their pricing is, and obviously. Uh, you know the type of that the value that you add that you know that, that you're adding uh, to a company or a person and kind of figure out what what they'd be willing to pay uh, it's, it's just it's just a very interesting topic in my opinion I think going you know kind of figuring out that that, that sweet spot uh, it's not as easy as some people may think it is um, right out of the you know when you when you're first trying to price something yeah I totally agree <laughs> awesome well Paul, I'm, I appreciate you being on. We have the lightning round coming up, which of course is supported by Wix, where you can create a professional website today. That's wix.com, wix.com. Paul, whenever you're ready, you let me know and we'll get started. I am ready, Jeff. All right, here we go. iOS or Android? iOS. Last movie you watched? Ooh, um, hmm. I think with my daughter, Hocus Pocus. Okay. <laughs> was it good? Did you enjoy uh, I don't it? think I watched I, I watched through my, my right eye, I think. I think I was doing some work on my phone. Oh, okay. I was going to say maybe you fell asleep or something. <laughs> Works good, too. If you had a theme song, what would it be? Um, Highway to Hell, ACDC. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, would you ever wear Snap Spectacles or the, the new version that just came out? No. <laughs> What's your most... Useful, not necessarily your best character trait. Uh, my deep knowledge of the NFL. <laughs> okay. Do Do you play uh, Do you play fantasy football? I do. Have you Have you won big? I have, but it, it, you'd be surprised <laughs> as a Canadian founder knowing the NFL really matters. Really, I, I for uh, I guess for doing deals in, in in the U.S. Just again building authentic relationships. If I truly, uh-huh. I truly, I truly love watching the NFL. I truly, I know a lot of the teams. I've been a Pats fan for 15 years. So oh, we can't. We have to end this right here. We can't. Talk I, I, I know. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I'm a Jets fan. Oh, a Jets fan. Okay. Yeah, I'm a Jets fan. Uh, but we, you know, we won our first game. So, so there's that, right? You know, we'll see how uh, how they continue to play. Sometimes they win their first game and then it's just all downhill. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, they got a pretty good team this year. We'll yeah, it I I, th- I think it could, I think it could be good. We'll see, but uh, yeah, I mean Tom Brady definitely the greatest of all time. But you know, f him. <laughs> like I think that that's my sentiment in terms of Tom Brady. I get and, it. I get it. <laughs> how did you How did you become a Pats fan? Just curious. 
Oh, um, I've, I, I think I, I, we had a, a department uh, down in Boston our, in Eloqua. Our marketing team was down there, and so we spent a lot of time in there. I've always been an NFL fan, and I started just to like the Pats. And then I also, uh, you know, 12 years ago, joined a fantasy league, a keeper league, and I've had Brady ever since. Gotcha. Had, are you a baseball fan at all or not? I'm not as much a baseball fan. Obviously, the Jays have had some great success, so I, I'd mm. say I'm a fair-weather baseball fan. Cool. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. If anyone who's listening wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I think the best way is to either try and connect with me on LinkedIn, Paul Tashima, uh, or you can follow, see us at you know, nudge.ai and, and um, give our free product a spin. You're also on Twitter, right? I am. <laughs> Pete, uh, Paul Tashima on Twitter again as well. Awesome. Well, Paul, again, I really appreciate you being on. I, I, uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating interview on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.